I just want to begin by, by welcoming you guys here. Maybe it's your first time back. Uh, maybe it's your first time in church in a while. We're thrilled you're here. Last week, we started a brand new series for this Easter season um, called You're Not Far. And really the big idea behind this series is that if you've ever felt far from God, if you've ever felt distant from God, that's not uncommon. And the good news is that God is closer than you think. And I just want to be real honest with you guys, um, and I know this might seem a little unrealistic, maybe this seems a little bit naive. Um, I shared this last week when we started though. I believe that we serve a really, really big God who does big, bold, audacious things that are beyond our wildest dreams. And so I'm just going to lay out my dream for you guys in this series. In this Easter series, I would love it if all of you who are kind of considering the idea of becoming a Christian and connecting in a church community, that you guys would choose to take that next step. My hope and prayer is that for those of you, maybe you've been coming here for a while. Maybe your teenagers love coming to our student ministry fuse or your kids, you know, really enjoy lighthouse kids every week. Or maybe you walked in the doors for the first time today and a greeter welcomed you and you just felt some kind of a connection. My hope and my prayer as you're kind of processing this whole idea of Jesus and God and Christianity and you're kind of on the fence, my hope and prayer is that you would decide to fully embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and this church community as your home. And I just think Easter is just like one of the best Sundays in the entire year to take that next step and become a follower of Jesus. And so at the end of this service, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to be able to take that step. Now, if you're, again, joining us today for the first time or, or you're not a Christian and you're thinking, uh-oh, what did I just step into? I just came here because somebody promised me a nice Easter lunch afterwards and they tricked me. Please don't freak out. <laughs> just know that you are loved, that somebody loves you. And, and I don't believe it's an accident that you're here this morning or watching us online this morning. I believe that we were all created with a purpose, for a purpose in this life. And there's a reason that you're here today. And, and we just believe that the Easter message is a powerful one. And so we want to give you guys an opportunity to respond if God speaks to your heart today. The second thing you need to know, if this is your first time with us here on Easter, is that we're a church that really believes what the Bible teaches about Easter. And that's that Jesus really, truly, literally, physically rose from the dead. It wasn't just his spirit. It wasn't a Houdini, David Blaine, you know, Chris Angel, mind freak, magic illusion. We believe Jesus really died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb and that three days later he rose from the dead. But the thing that makes us maybe a little bit different than maybe some other churches you grew up in or went to that maybe you've heard before is that we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead just because the Bible says so. The Bible says it, so we believe. See, the Bible's an, an amazing book. In fact, it's an amazing collection of ancient documents, a library, in fact, written by over 40 people over hundreds of years. We believe it's inspired by God. It teaches us how to live. It gives us everything that we need to understand salvation, how to have a restored relationship with the God of the universe who made everything. But the reason we believe Jesus rose from the dead is not just because the Bible says so. We, we actually have a way better reason than just that. Here's why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe because Matthew, 
a first century tax collector who became a follower of Jesus, Jesus saw him die and saw him after the resurrection and he wrote about it. We believe because Mark, who is a Greek guy who just hung around and traveled with Peter, he wrote about it and he believed. We believe because Luke, a doctor, interviewed tons and tons and tons of eyewitnesses and wrote an account called the Gospel of Luke that begins with saying this, I have interviewed and I have thoroughly investigated these things and here's what I have discovered. And we believe because John, who was the first person at the empty tomb, said, Jesus died. I saw him. I was there when he was being crucified and when he said, John, take care of my mom till I get back. And I've been taking care of his mother, Mary. And I saw, I witnessed a risen Jesus. We believe because Peter, a fisherman, and one of Jesus' followers believed that Jesus rode from the dead. In fact, up, you know, throughout his entire life, he, he believed that and he held on to that belief so much that he eventually was martyred. He was crucified upside down. And the reason he was crucified wasn't for what he believed. Lots of people have died in, in the history of the world for what they believed, but he died for what he said he saw with his own eyes, a resurrected Jesus, which made Jesus his king instead of Emperor Nero, which is why he was killed. And then there's James. Does anybody know who James's brother was? Shout it out if you know. Jesus, that's right. Now, James might be one of the biggest reasons we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. James doesn't even show up in the story of Jesus until after the resurrection. In other words, when Jesus was doing his miracles, when he was going around turning you know, water into wine and healing people and doing all of these things, James was like, I don't think so. He's like, I grew up with him. He broke my iPhone once, not the son of God, okay? But here's the deal. After the resurrection, we discovered that James now becomes a leader in the early church. And James wrote a letter that's actually found in the New Testament that James said he believed that Jesus rose from the dead, which is the greatest evidence that it's true. And here's why. How many of you have a sibling, a sister or a brother? Raise your hand. Maybe you're sitting next to them right now. What would it take for you to believe that they were God? They'd have to rise from the dead, right? Exactly. So after the resurrection, James shows up and he says, okay, now I believe. Yes, he is the son of God. And then there's Paul, a guy who wanted to kill Christians, who hunted them down and tortured them and executed them. But then he has an encounter with the risen Jesus and Paul came to the conclusion that Jesus actually died for all of our sins and that he rose from the dead. And so Paul, the Christian killer, Paul, the murderer, begins planting churches all around the Mediterranean. He plants more churches than anybody in ancient history, and he wound up writing almost half of the New Testament in our Bible. So see, it's too simplistic to say, well, you know, I don't really believe the Bible, so I don't believe the resurrection. The resurrection isn't something we believe just because the Bible says so. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because we've got eyewitnesses, people who actually saw an event happen in history. And they went on to do extraordinary things for God, not because of what Jesus taught, not because of what they believed, but because of what they said they saw, they witnessed. And most of them, in fact, almost all of them would go on to lose their lives because of what they said they saw.
So, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you believe the resurrection happened, you've got good reason to. And if you're not a Jesus follower and you came to church today, you know, because somebody invited you and they promised you a nice lunch or you were trying to get your mom off your back and you're not even sure what you believe about God, I am so glad you're here because today's message is really for you. So here's where we're going. It's natural to want to divorce the life and teachings of Jesus from the resurrection of Jesus. Everybody loves the teachings of Jesus. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who has bad things to say about the teachings of Jesus. People love the Sermon on the Mount. Politicians on both sides of the aisle quote it all the time. The truth shall set you free. We love his stories. The story of the prodigal son. The story of the good Samaritan. We love the fact that he cared for and he fed the poor. He loved justice and mercy. He was really the, the OG social justice warrior. He, he talked about forgiveness and he talked about grace. Even if you're not a Christian, there is so much to love about the teachings of Jesus. So in our culture, in our world, we've tried to do this. What we've tried to do is we've tried to separate, we've tried to separate out all that we appreciate about Christianity from the resurrection. We want to say, hey, I like the stories. I like the teachings of Jesus. I like all that stuff about love and mercy and forgiveness. I mean, he forgave the woman caught in adultery. That was awesome. He forgave the guy next to him on the cross. Like, that's amazing. Let's all be like Jesus. But I don't really believe that he rose from the dead. I want to applaud the person of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the morality of Jesus, the example that Jesus set, but I want to leave his body. I want to leave it in the tomb because I don't really think I can believe that. That's a little bit, it's a little bit weird. That's a little bit too supernatural for me. And if I were to press some of you guys this morning, that might be exactly where some of you are at. You're not going to say anything bad about Jesus. But if you were really pressed to share what you really believe, do you believe that he actually physically rose from the dead? Like he was dead, flatlined for three days in a tomb, and then he came back to life. It's like, wow, you know, I heard that. I might have heard that growing up from my parents or from a church I went to, but I don't really know if I believe that. So if that's you, I want to help you out today. And that's kind of what we're doing in this series. We're kind of challenging some of these big obstacles of faith. And we're talking about really our mission and vision as a church. The problem with trying to do this, though, to separate out who Jesus was and the teachings of Jesus from the resurrection. The problem with this is that everything you know about Jesus, everything that you appreciate about Jesus, everything that you've heard that Jesus said, the quotes from Jesus, the stories you love about Jesus, the example Jesus left, all of that, all of that came from people who believed that he rose from the dead. Everything we know about Jesus came from the writings of people who said, oh yeah, by the way, he rose from the dead. In fact, this idea of the resurrection was central to the teaching of the early church. So the problem with I'm going to hang on to Christianity, but I'm going to skip the resurrection is that it requires believing that in the first century, there was a group of people who so appreciated the person of Jesus. 
They so appreciated his morality and his teachings that they decided that they were going to kind of get together and say, you know what, we can't allow this teachings of Jesus to be extinguished now that he's dead. We've got to make sure that this dream that Jesus gave us, this teaching, this morality that he gave us, escapes the first century and continues on in the world. But if we leave it as it is, it's going to disappear over time. So we need to come up with something to be able to keep this truth alive. I know, let's make up the greatest lie in the history of the world to keep the truth of Jesus going on. We're going to lie like crazy to pass on truth. That's what you believe if you try to separate these two things from one another. Because the people who gave you the parts of scripture that you really like are also the people who gave you the resurrection. It it reminds me a little bit when I was a teenager. um, I was a part of a traveling uh, church ministry team, a, a group of teenagers called the Impact Team. And we would travel around to different churches and we would do funny skits and we would sing songs and we would do puppet ministry for kids. And one day we went to visit a church in inner city Baltimore. And as we were parked outside and we were unloading some stuff and we were getting our things ready inside the church, somebody broke into one of our cars and they stole our big CD player boombox out of the car that had our music CD in it for our puppet ministry. And the CD they stole had songs on it about the Ten Commandments. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Like, how weird is that? I always wondered how that story played out. Hey, man, I just stole this boombox CD player. It's awesome. That's great, man. What you do with it? Well, there's a CD in it. I listened to it. What did it say? It said, don't steal. So it's the same problem. And I just want to kind of help you guys this morning kind of wrestle with this dilemma. Your dilemma is you appreciate, you know, all of this kind of stuff. You know, the the morality of Jesus, the ethics of Jesus, the love, the forgiveness, the compassion, the mercy, the teachings, all of these things about Jesus, how he cared for the poor. You love all of those things. You get all those things, but you discount this part, the resurrection. So, So you believe that the guys who wrote the part that you believe in the part that's helpful, the part that's inspirational, the part that can be life-changing, all about love and grace and forgiveness, you actually believe that those people lied to support a truth. Now, that's a little bit odd, isn't it? And so really, our our bottom line that we're going to talk about this morning is this. Here's where we're going today. If there was no resurrection, you should abandon all things Christian. If there was no resurrection, you should just give up on Christianity. If there was no literal, physical resurrection, Jesus came back to life after being crucified, you should quit Christianity. You should quit ending your prayers within Jesus' name. Instead, just insert your own name. Everything you think about heaven, you should throw away. You know those funerals you went to? where your grandparents passed away or, you know, someone you love passed away and the preacher got up there and said, don't worry, he's with Jesus, she's with Jesus, you're going to see them again. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, forget all that. Whether you've ever read the Bible or not, whether you're here and you believe in Jesus or not, 95% of what you think about heaven came from the people who told you that Jesus rose from the dead. And if there's no resurrection, if they lied about that, then you're wasting your time and energy believing anything that they taught. Quit serving. 
Quit giving. Do something else with your life. Give up all things Christian. Happy Easter, everybody. Aren't you glad you came to church today to (laughs) hear this cheering, uplifting Easter message, right? But hold on, people. That's just the warm-up for what's about to come in today's message. Because the Apostle Paul, again, who wrote about half the New Testament, in a letter to the Corinthian church, addressed this very issue. Paul went to the distant city of Corinth, and he planted a church there. And that's kind of what he did. He got a church going, he got it started, and then he moved on, and he planted another church. And he was doing this all around the Mediterranean. But as he planted a church and left it, he would write them letters to continue that relationship, to provide that support. He would write letters to them. And two of his letters are still with us in the New Testament. And in one of those letters, he addresses the fact that there were some people in the Corinthian church, like many people today, who thought that they just knew better than this whole resurrection thing. They, they just kind of thought, you know, we are too, we're too smart, we're too scientific, you know, we, we just know too much about life and how life works, and we just don't buy it. We don't buy it. You know, we're cool with Jesus. We think a lot of the things that he taught awesome, that's great, but we're not into the resurrection. And so there was a movement among these Jesus followers in Corinth who said, let's be Christians, let's be followers of Jesus' teaching, but let's not believe in the physical resurrection. Again, they decided they were too intellectual, too sophisticated, too scientific to believe that a man could literally come back from the dead. That's never happened before. We don't think it happened. And so the Apostle Paul, in a letter to the Corinthians, examines this really, really tough issue because the resurrection... I mean, I don't know if you realize it, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. It is really, really hard to believe. Some of you only believe it because you were raised believing it since you were little children. But when you sit down and you think about the human body, I mean, if you've ever seen the film Passion of the Christ, if you were here on the Monday, Thursday service and you you heard the descriptions of what went on, how he was whipped and tortured and a crown of thorns on his head and the nails driven into his wrists and his feet and the spear in his side, the loss of blood, the finality of death on the cross, to believe that a man who was crucified could come back to life, that's hard to believe. That's why in God's grace, we don't just have Matthew telling us this. We don't just have Mark. We don't just have Luke or John or Peter or James. We've got all of them, plus the Apostle Paul, to tell us they speak as eyewitnesses about the significance of the resurrection. So Paul, about 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, he he pens this letter. He writes this letter to the Corinthian church. And before we dive into this a little bit more, let me ask you guys a question. Uh, Who recorded the song, Beat It? Does anybody know? Shout it out. Michael Jackson, right. Did you know Michael Jackson wrote that song, wrote Beat It, 40 years ago? 40 years ago. Now, show of hands, how many of you to this day could sing a verse from that song or at least the chorus. Raise your hand. Look around the room, okay? Yeah, 40 years ago, and we can still do that, all right? If you can remember the lyrics to a song written 40 years ago that aren't even really important in your life, do you think for a minute that a man or a woman who witnessed a resurrection 20 years later would be confused about what they saw? And so 20 years after the resurrection, the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to these Christians in Corinth to explain that you can't separate Jesus from the resurrection. 
And if you think I've been pushing the envelope a little bit too much this Easter Sunday, wait till you hear what Paul says. We're looking in 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, you can jump in. We'll put them on the screens as always as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Here's what he said. He said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So Paul is straight out saying, if Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, your faith is worthless. Well, Paul, that's really extreme. And Paul, I don't think, I don't think your preaching is useless. I mean, when I got married, you know, we read some verses that you wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 at my wedding. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. It keeps no record of wrong. That was awesome stuff, Paul. That was some good stuff that you wrote. Well, Paul says, you know what? Forget about it. Don't read my stuff at your wedding anymore if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says our preaching, and who's ours? Let me tell you, ours would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James. He says the resurrection to us is essential. It's foundational. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your faith is completely useless. And if you think that's harsh, check out what he says next in verse 15. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, you shouldn't pay attention to anything that we say. Why? Because we're all a bunch of liars. And we're the worst kind of liars because we've been lying to people about God. Because in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the teachings of Peter, and all the teachings of James and Paul, we don't simply say a guy rose from the dead. No, we say that God raised him from the dead. And you know what that means? It means if you don't think that Jesus physically, literally rose from the dead, then you should get your Bibles. And everyone probably has a Bible at home somewhere. You should get your Bible. You should dust it off. And I wanted to do this for effect this morning, but I got outvoted by my wife, Julie, and the rest of the pastoral staff. But you should take the book of Matthew and just rip it out of your Bible. And Mark and Luke and John and Acts and all the letters of Paul and James. And you should just rip all of that stuff completely out of your Bible. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Why? Because it's a lie. It's not real. All the writings of those guys. Because Paul says, then we're all liars. We've lied about God and we can't be trusted. That's how big a deal, church, the resurrection is. And then he's not done. He goes on in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now, hold on, Paul. I mean, I believe some stuff. I believe God's a forgiving God. I, I like that. I, I love that. He's a, good, he's a good God. He's a forgiving God. He's full of mercy and love. I like that part. To which Paul would say, where'd you get that from? From the Bible. Yeah, that's my point. If there's no resurrection, then forget anything we wrote. We're liars. Your faith is futile. You're still a prisoner in your sin. But Paul, God is love. I mean, I remember God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I really, really like that. Paul's like, guess who wrote that? Who? John, the first guy at the empty tomb who saw that Jesus rose from the dead. See, we've grown up in a westernized culture that has been so impacted by Christianity that we don't even realize it. Whether you're a Christian or not, 
You've been impacted by Christianity. When you think about God, when you think about heaven, you're thinking about a New Testament God and a New Testament heaven to a great degree. When you think about heaven, you're thinking about New Testament heaven. When you think what God is like, love, grace, forgiveness, these are 100% Christian ideals. You go outside of Christianity and you look at what God is like, he is nothing like the God in the New Testament. The New Testament writers say, hey, it's all or nothing. You can't say God is love and God is forgiving unless you're willing to embrace the whole package. Because what you're assuming is based on a resurrection. Don't try to resurrect his values and leave his body in the tomb. Now it gets worse. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Now, if you grew up in church and you heard lost, immediately your mind will probably think about hell, like you're lost and going to hell. That's not what it means. Anybody here ever lost their keys or their cell phone? Raise your hand. Look, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up high. Look around the room. Almost everybody. Keep your hand in the air. Hold them up high. Keep your hand up if you think your keys and cell phone went to hell. <laughs> right. If you kept your hand up, I mean, come see us at guest services at the end of service. We'll get you some help. In fact, just go right now. Mental health professionals are standing by. Okay? Why don't we think that? Because loss doesn't mean went to hell. Loss means we don't know where it went. That's what it means. Let me tell you what Paul is saying, and this is huge, because some of you have been to the funerals of grandparents and loved ones and parents. I mean, those of you guys who know me, you know my father passed away in November. Paul says, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I just want you to know if there's no resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep, and that's, that's the Christian view of death, that it's temporary, that it's not finite, that death is only a, a, a stage through eternity of life. We're only on this earth for a short amount of time. We have eternity with God to follow. That's what the Christian worldview is, that it's not permanent. He says, those who follow Jesus and we went to their funerals and we said, we'll see them again. If there is no resurrection, they're lost. We don't know where they went. We have no idea. Paul is saying that your entire concept of heaven, whether you realize it or not, has been shaped by the teachings of the New Testament. And if you abandon the resurrection, go ahead and abandon the rest like your idea of heaven. Because your concept of heaven is shaped on something that's grounded in an actual event in human history called the resurrection of Jesus. And besides that, there are some more interesting views of heaven outside of the Christian view of heaven. Did you know that? You know, the reason that many Christians don't look forward to heaven is because for a lot of them, it sounds boring. And, and I'll say that because I'm the pastor and I can get away with it. But what are we going to do there, right? Streets of gold. Okay, that's fun for like 10 minutes. Then what? You get a mansion. Cool, nice house. Then what? We're going to love each other forever. So I guess that means there's no competition. Everybody's going to be like, you first, no, you first, no, you first. What do you want for dinner? You pick, no, you pick, no, you pick. That's going to get boring pretty quick, right? There's some more interesting views of heaven out there, especially for the men, if you're a man. You know, one non-Christian view of heaven is about a place full of attractive single women. You know, if, if you're a man, you're going, hey, all right. If you're a woman, you're going, I wouldn't want to go there. And if my husband wants to go there, I'll kill him. That's what you're thinking, right? 
If you're a superhero nerd like me, you guys know I'm a comic book fan. Uh, Here's a cool one. In the ancient Norse view of heaven, Thor, the thunder god's father, Odin, created this awesome place. And when you die, the Valkyries, these goddess warrior women, they take your soul to the hall of Odin. And for all of eternity, you get to fight all day and you get to feast all night. Isn't that cool? You fight all day and you feast all night. And if you get mortally wounded in battle, they resurrect you that night at the feast. Now, if I could pick a view of heaven, that's a pretty cool view. Now, I'm just kind of tongue-in-cheek kidding around here. But Paul says you might as well choose some other pagan view of eternity because without the resurrection, everything you think about heaven, forget about it. And then he ends with this, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We're to be pitied more than all men. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. That's a pretty big statement. In other words, here's what that means. If the only thing you get out of following Jesus is what you get in this life, Paul said that above all groups of people in the entire world, you should be pitied. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because all that money you gave to help people in need, you should have just kept it because Jesus was fake. You lost out. You know, all of you who passed on a wild party, you know, and he was hot and she was hot, but they didn't know God. And so you passed on that relationship. Stinks for you. You missed out on some fun. You should be pitied. For those of you who serve and you give up vacation time to go on a mission trip into the inner city to help some people who are less fortunate than you, or you went to camp with children or teenagers to mentor them and be there for them, what were you thinking You should have used that vacation and gone on another cruise. You should have spent time for yourself. In fact, all of you who've given up hours and hours and hours and hours of your life showing up on church on Sundays and singing some silly songs that aren't even true, you should be pitied. Pastor, I can't believe you're saying all that. That's so harsh. But that's exactly what Paul says if there's no resurrection. And then he says this, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Sounds a little like Valhalla, right? Odin's party. But here's the amazing part. Here's what Paul says in the middle of the same chapter. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this in verse 20, and this is awesome. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The good news is this. You don't have to spend your entire life with a separation between the cross and the resurrection. You can have your faith firmly planted in the foundation of the resurrection. The reason you can believe, the reason you can follow, the reason you can serve, the reason you can hope, the reason you can help those in need, the reason you can do all these things is because your Savior, Jesus Christ, conquered sin, and he conquered death, and he came out of the tomb. He is risen. And so Paul, in this same chapter, says this. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Now, this is amazing. Paul's saying, look, I get it. 
I know the idea of a resurrection of a supernatural event in history is difficult to acknowledge and accept. I know you've never seen anybody in your life just come back from the dead. But I'm telling you, 20 years ago, not 40 years ago like Michael Jackson's beat it, but 20 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter saw it, and Matthew saw it, and John saw it, and the apostles saw it, and over 500 men and women saw it. And then this is my favorite part. The Apostle Paul says to that group in Corinth who didn't believe that if you don't think Jesus rose from the dead, get yourself a bus ticket and go to Jerusalem because most of the people who saw a resurrected Savior are still walking the streets of Jerusalem and you can ask them yourselves and you can look them in the eye and they will tell you, yes, we're eyewitnesses. We saw Jesus rise from the dead. We saw it with our own eyes. You know what this means, church? It means if you're a follower of Jesus, your hope is not in vain. The loved one that you laid to rest and you wondered, your hope is not in vain. Your generosity and compassion to people around you is not in vain. Your time in service is not in vain. Your kindness is not in vain. Your worship is not in vain. The tears that you've shed on behalf of things that break your heart, that God laid a passion inside of you and a vision inside of you to make a difference in this world, none of that is in vain. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is risen. And if you're not a Jesus person and you're not a Christian and this whole thing is still kind of foreign to you, if you forget everything else I said this morning, which you probably will, here's the one thing that I would love for you to just wrestle with a little bit. And it's this, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, game over Christianity, forget about it. But if he did, it changes everything for you. It means when you go to sleep at night and you're struggling and you're dealing with some stuff in your life, you can speak to a heavenly father who's real and who loves you and who cares about your life and he's ready to listen. He's the perfect parent who loves you and will never leave you and never forsake you. He cares about your life. He cares about your future. It means that sense of right and wrong that you have inside of you. That's really the fingerprint of God in your life. It means that you can never sin so much or run so far from God that you're outside the limit of God's grace and love and forgiveness. He's waiting for open arm, with open arms for you to turn around and step into a relationship with him. Because the people who brought us the resurrection said that God's grace is sufficient for everyone, for all things. So, as you consider Christianity, it begins and ends with an event that actually happened in human history, the resurrection of Jesus. For some of you today, this message is simply about encouraging you. For others, it's about challenging you. But for some of you, maybe you're right on the edge. Maybe you've, you've grown up in church or you've been there and you've seen some stuff and you just didn't like it and you kind of drew away and you pulled away, but you've always believed in God. You've always felt like there was something there something pulling you back. I believe that's the provenient grace of God, his love and his grace for you, drawing you back to him, pulling you back to him. And if you're right on the edge and ready to make a big decision, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. In fact, I believe it's the greatest decision that any person could ever make 
in their entire life. And so today I wanna give you an opportunity to step into faith or to step back into faith and to embrace Jesus as your personal and risen savior. And the way we usually do that around here is through prayer. And, and praying a prayer, I mean, there's nothing magical about that. It's just an opportunity for you to express to God what he's doing right now in your mind and in your heart. Some of you may be feeling something inside you right now. Again, I believe that's God's grace drawing you in, pulling you towards him. And so I want to lead you in this, this prayer as an expression of faith. It's saying, Jesus, I want to move my faith off of myself and everything I've done, and I want to place it on my Savior Jesus, the risen Savior, and what he's done for me, that he died on the cross to pay for my sins, and that he proved he was the Son of God because he rose again. So I want to lead you in a prayer, an expression of faith, to allow you to step into the family of God and a community of faith. So can we bow our heads together? Can we close our eyes to pray? And if that's you this morning, again, you just feel God pounding on your heart. While I was speaking today, you just kind of felt that pull. There was a light bulb maybe that went on. Again, I truly believe that's the Holy Spirit of God pulling you towards him right now. And if that's you today as an act of faith, would you right now, with nobody looking, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? I need Jesus in my life. We just lift up a hand today. Say, that's me. I need Jesus. Praise God. I see a hand. Praise God. Another. Praise God. Another. Praise God. Anybody else? Again, I believe this is the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. And I don't want it to pass. I see another hand all the way in the back. Praise God. God sees every person in here. He knows every heart, every story, every situation. He loves you. There's some of you right now that he's calling you in a powerful way. He's saying, come to me. Come back to me. I love you. I want a relationship with you that's going to go to eternity. And I'll ask one more time, is there anybody else in here today who needs Jesus in their life? Would you raise a hand? Would you just lift it up as an act of faith? Praise God. I see that. Praise God another. Let me pray for you. You can use your own words. You can repeat what I'm saying right now. This is between you and God. Even if you were a little nervous to raise a hand right now, like the, about a dozen people who did so, God still hears you and you can respond. Would you pray, Heavenly Father? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe He died on a cross for all my wrongs. I believe He's the Son of God, that He rose again. So today, Easter Sunday, 2022, I acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior, and I'm transferring all of my faith off of myself and my good deeds or my good works, my promises, my good intentions. Instead, I'm placing all my faith in your Son, Jesus, as my Savior and as my Lord. God, thank you for meeting me exactly where I am. God, forgive me of my sins. Receive me into your family. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. I love you, God. I want to 
want to walk in a relationship with you day by day, step by step for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people today? Praise God. Praise God. If God's working on your heart right now, you just need to pray. You just need to continue to respond. Again, I want to let you know the altars are open. You can come up and pray. You can pray right where you're at. And if you made a decision of faith today, please don't keep that a secret. Tell some people who brought you today, you know, who you traveled with. Let them know. Come talk to me in the back. I would love to hear about it. It's really just the first step in an incredible adventure with God that's going to go through eternity. And we are so excited for you. We want to celebrate that decision. Can we stand together and continue to sing and celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people?
Is anyone? 